better than the way it's being run. Hello and welcome to God Still Speaks Through Jackasses. In this episode, we'll be taking church growth tips from none other than the prophet Tom Cruise. Just kidding. He'll be consulting, but not advising. Anyway, I've been wondering lately if the seeker-driven, purpose-driven church growth movement isn't indeed shooting itself in the foot by virtue of its very strategy. I'll be covering this topic in the next few episodes with what I think are some pretty startling conclusions. So buckle up for a wild ride. As always, I want to thank Cody F. Miller for the use of his painting Balaam that serves as the artwork for the podcast, as well as Michael Omquist and Five Iron Frenzy for the use of their song, My Evil Plan to Save the World. As ever, many thanks to my ministry coach, Gene Talley. If you're looking for coaching of pure awesomeness, contact Gene at revtalley at gmail.com. Now look, when they were going, some of the military detail came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that occurred and gathered with the elders for for consultation. They gave considerable amounts of silver to the soldiers, saying, Say that his disciples came at night and stole him from us while we slept. And if this should ever be heard by the governor, we will persuade him and cover for you. So they took the pieces of silver and did as they were taught. And this word is blazed abroad among the Jews until this day. Then the eleven disciples went into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus arranged for them to go. And seeing him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And Jesus, approaching them, spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth was given to me. Go, then, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all things, whatever I directed to you. And look, I am with you all the days until the conclusion of the age. Amen. Proclaim the word. Stand by it when the opportunity is good and when it is inopportune. Expose, rebuke, entreat, and all patience and teaching. For a season will come when sound teaching will not be tolerated, but in accord with their own feelings, people will gather up teachers who tickle their ears. And indeed, they will turn their ears away from the truth and will be turned aside into myths. A supervisor of the church is bound to be unimpeachable as an administrator of God, not given to self-will nor irritable nor someone who drinks too much or someone who gets into fistfights nor someone who gains money in sordid or distasteful or dishonorable manners, but hospitable, fond of good men, sane, just, kind, and self-controlled, upholding the faith upholding the faithful word of which he has been taught that he may be able to entreat and expose by sound teaching the ones who contradict sound teaching for there are many unsubordinate vain talkers and impostors especially the ones who think the law can save them whose whose mouths must be stopped who subvert whole households by teaching that which ought not to be taught for the sake of vile gain you say, Perry, what about the jackass in the church? The jackass in the church is the person that always screams, I want to go deeper. You know what I tell people that say that around here? You're only as deep as the last person you served. You want to talk deep? Let's go check your tithing record and see how deep you are. Deep? Deep? 
Most Christians are, uh, John Maxwell said it, most Christians are educated way beyond their level of obedience anyway. What you're really saying is you want me to stand on the stage and confuse the heck out of you so you don't have to apply what I teach on Sundays. I could do that. I want more worship. You got six other days. If you were full of Jesus when you walked in here, it wouldn't matter to you how much we sang. Now, here's the question I'm proposing with this whole thing. Does the seeker-driven, purpose-driven church model shoot itself in the foot? Vision-casting leaders like Perry Noble, as heard in the clip above, believes that, quote, most Christians are educated way beyond their obedience level. Well, let's just see if that statement stands up to scrutiny. In order to do that, let me read an article by Al Mohler that was published in 2004 that gives some alarming statistics about the average Christian's knowledge of the Bible. And while it may be older material, my considered guess is the problem hasn't become better, it's become worse since Dr. Mohler wrote this article. Dr. Mohler writes, While America's evangelical Christians are rightly concerned about the secular worldview's rejection of biblical Christianity, we ought to give some urgent attention to a problem much closer to home, biblical, biblical literacy in the church. This scandalous problem is our own, and it's up to us to fix it. Research, uh, researchers George Gallup and Jim Castile put the problem squarely. Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. How bad is it? Researchers tell us that it's worth worse than most could imagine. Fewer than half of adults can name the four Gospels. Many Christians can't, cannot identify more than two or three of the disciples. According to data from the Barna Research Group, 60% of Americans can't name even five of the Ten Commandments. No wonder people break the Ten Commandments all the time. They don't know what they are, said George Barna, president of the firm. The bottom line, increasingly, America is biblically illiterate. Multiple surveys reveal the problem in stark terms. According to, 80, according to 80%, 82% of Americans, God helps those who help themselves is a, is a Bible verse. Those identified as born-again Christians did better by 1%. Let me read that again. According to 82% of Americans, God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse. Those identified as born-again Christians, yeah, that's us, evangelical Christians, did better by 1%. A majority of adults think the Bible teaches that the most important purpose in life is taking care of one's own family. St some statistics are enough to perplex even those uh, aware of the problem. A Barna poll indicated that indicated that at least 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Another survey of graduating high school seniors revealed that over 50% thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. A considerable number of respondents to one poll indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. We're in big trouble. Secularized Americans should not be expected to be knowledgeable about the Bible, of course. As the nation's civic converse, conversation is stripped of all biblical references and content, Americans increasingly live in a scripture-free public space. Confusion and ignorance of the Bible's content should be assumed in post-Christian America. 
The larger scandal is biblical ignorance among Christians. Choose whatever statistic or survey you like. The general pattern is the same. American Christians know less and less about the Bible. It shows. How can a generation be biblically shaped in its understanding of human sexuality when it believes Sodom and Gomorrah to be a married couple? Many who identify themselves as Christians are similarly confused about the gospel itself. An individual who believes that, quote, God helps those who help themselves will find salvation by grace and justification by faith to be alien concepts. Christians who lack biblical knowledge are the products of churches that marginalize biblical knowledge. Bible teaching now often accounts for only a diminishing fraction of the local congregation's time and attention. The move to small group ministry has certainly increased opportunities for fellowship, but many of these groups never get beyond superficial Bible study. Youth ministries are asked to fix problems, provide entertainment, and keep kids busy. How many local church youth programs actually produce substantial Bible knowledge in young people? Even the pulpit has been sidelined in many congregation congregations. Preaching has taken a backseat to other concerns in corporate worship. The, cent- the centrality of biblical preaching to the formation of disciples is lost. And Christian ignorance leads to, leads to Christian intel- indolence and worse. The reality is our problem. And it's up to this generation of Christians to reverse course. Recovery starts at home. Parents are to be the first and most important educators of their own children, diligently teaching them the word of God. See Deuteronomy 6, 4-9. Parents cannot franchise their responsibility, responsibility to the congregation, no matter how faithful and biblical it may be. God assigned parents this non-negotiable responsibility, and children must see their Christian parents as teachers and fellow students of God's word. Now, before you think I'm all high and mighty on poo-pooing the seeker-driven, purpose-driven church model, let me tell you, uh, for the past 10 years, I was in vocational ministry. The model um, was my gospel. Um, At last, we'd found a way to make church appealing to the masses, right? No longer were we tied to this dead polity of old from which to communicate the gospel. Now we can put on a rock show. We can dress casual into the culture and and change our delivery of the gospel to attract a crowd that would never set foot in a church before. And let me tell you for the record, our, our efforts were genuine. They were noble. These efforts attracted people like never before, and we unashamedly and unabashedly preached the hellfire and brimstone law and the saving grace of Christ and Him crucified to these unchurched people. We were convinced that unless we intervened, these poor souls might spend eternity separated from God, so we had to do everything we could. However, we had a problem. As we did this, and our time was consumed with putting on next week's show, we had precious little time to actually make disciples. Not just converts, but disciples. What we failed to realize is that maybe, just maybe, if we made genuine Christ-following disciples, that the attractive rock show wouldn't really need to be done, wouldn't even be necessary. Now I ask, does the seeker-driven, purpose-driven church model shoot itself in the foot in this regard? Well, if we presuppose that at its heart the church model wants to make disciples and fulfill the Great Commission, as found in Matthew 28, then more questions come to mind. 
If this doesn't include taking people deeper into the full counsel of God's word, then what is most likely on the docket for such a church? If leaders aren't teaching their people the deeper, full counsel of God's word, are they really making disciples? If they're not making disciples who tend to make disciples, are they pooching the whole deal and hoping somehow they can do it all? How can guys like Perry Noble hope to ever have people who, quote, serve others unless he feeds his sheep well in the word of God? If, quote, pastors like Perry Noble are bemoaning the fact that he he has people who, quote, want to go deeper, is that an indictment on his people or is that more indicative of a shortcoming on his part? Isn't this a little like asking starving people to feed other starving people? Wouldn't the starving person just eat the food instead of giving it to others most of the time? I do believe the purpose-driven, seeker-driven church model does have the pitfall of shooting itself in the foot for three reasons. And again, I'll only address one this week and others in, in future casts. First of all, and the one we'll address... Um. It doesn't put boots on the ground equipped with the gospel and the full counsel of God's word. That's how it shoots itself in the foot. The model, in fact, puts a bullet in its very feet. The people who should be going out from the church into the community with the gospel. When it refuses to take people into the deep and full counsel of the Bible in favor of putting on a high-powered show in order to attract outsiders, it shoots itself in the foot hoping that these people with no knowledge, no understanding of God's word and its full counsel will go out and somehow do this. Number two, the gospel, Jesus Christ and him crucified for our sins, takes a back seat to self-help and life tip messages from the stages of these seeker-driven, purpose-driven churches. The model is great for attracting people, but once inside the building, the pure gospel is avoided in favor of advice on how to better manage your money, start a business, or have a better sex life. Three, pastoral pastoral care for individuals is practically a sin. The individual is no longer a real person in many of these types of churches. The measure of the individual is only as great as the amount they are contributing to the community's purposes as dictated by a single leader. And that third point is quite alarming. And uh, again, we'll address it in future casts. But on that on that note, let's let's listen to Perry Noble one more time. You say, Perry, what about the jackass in the church? The jackass in the church is the person that always screams, "I want to go deeper." You know what I tell people that say that around here? You're only as deep as the last person you served. You want to talk deep? Let's go check your tithing record and see how deep you are. Deep, deep. Most Christians are, uh, John Maxwell said it, most Christians are educated way beyond their level of obedience anyway. What you're really saying is you want me to stand on the stage and confuse the heck out of you so you don't have to apply what I teach on Sundays. I could do that. I want more worship. You got six other days. If you were full of Jesus when you walked in here, it wouldn't matter to you how much we sang. Here we see a case in point of church leaders shooting their potential boots on the ground right square in the eye. 
Church leader Perry Noble, notice I didn't call him pastor, is berating those who want to go deeper. Leader Noble is essentially saying, you're not worth my time to take you deeper. Just make sure you give your tithe. Maybe bring a friend to my services when you can, but leave the rest up to me. And he wonders why more people aren't serving in his so-called church. How in the world would anyone know what to do or how to serve unless they are taught and taught deeply in the word of God? Maybe they, quote, want to go deeper so they could possibly, oh, I don't know, make more disciples? Again, Noble and men of his ilk are basically saying, look, leave it to us to do the heavy lifting. You just invite your friends to our high-powered smoke and light show, and we'll take it from there. Oh, and be sure you're giving your tithe because we have to pay for all this so your friends can see it and learn about God because God knows that you'll never tell them about God or Jesus. Seeker-driven leaders like this think they can better motivate their people through relentless guilt trips from their stages rather than teaching the full counsel of the Word of God. This comes dangerously close to the textbook definition of blasphemy. Who is it? It's me. Joe! I really missed you. I was just saying to myself, it's been almost three hours. Markinson's disappeared. What? Carl Markinson's gone UA. Unauthorized absence. I know what it means. When? This afternoon, sometime after we left. I'll try to find him in the morning. I've already tried. You tried? Joanne, you're coming dangerously close to the textbook definition of interfering with a government investigation. I'm Loudon Downey's attorney. Aunt Jenny. She said she feels like she's known me for years, so I suggested that she might feel more comfortable if I were directly involved with the case. She had Loudon sign the papers about an hour ago. I suppose it's way too much to hope that you're making this up just to bother me. Don't worry, I'm not going to make a motion for separation. You're still lead counsel. Splendid. When a man says essentially, forget about learning God's word, I'm telling you to just get out there and serve and stuff your desire to know more about God. Isn't he saying he himself is a better motivator for serving in the name of Jesus than the Bible? God's very word written down for us to read, understand, and then act upon? Dunno, seems a bit blasphemous. Like uh, that man's elevating himself above God. Eh, Just my thought. Anyway, remember Paul's words. For there are many insubordinate Mm, vain talkers and imposters, especially the ones who think they can save that the law can save them, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households by teaching that which ought not to be taught for the sake of vile gain. Does Leader Noble really want uh, people to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and him crucified? Or is he more interested in building Perry Noble's quote church? It seems that if he wanted to see more people come to Christ, he would be about the business of properly training his people in God's word and how they can use it to make disciples rather than berating them about their, quote, tithing record. He literally shoots his own feet. The real tragedy of this is many church planting pastors try to mimic this model. And instead of training an an army of deep, well-equipped disciples to carry out the Great Commission in their local church? All the work is left to the pastor. He becomes the entertainer for the crowd, the ear tickler, if you will. And most often this task is an up-at-dawn, pride-swallowing siege 
that seems to never end. We want more from them, so let's give them more. Let's show them your pure joy of the game. Let's bury the attitude a little bit and show them... Wait. You're telling me to dance. No. I'm saying to get back to the guy who first started playing this game. Remember? Way back when, when you were a kid, it wasn't just about the money, was it? Was it? Was it? Do your job. Don't you tell me to dance. Fine. Hey, hey, I'm an athlete. I am not an entertainer. Fine. These are the ABCs of me, baby. I do not dance, and I do not start preseason without a contract. Fine, fine. Jerry, talk to me. Breathe. Breathe, Jerry. I am out here for you. You don't know what it's like to be me out here for you. It is an up-at-dawn, pride-swallowing siege that I will never fully tell you about, okay? like poor Jerry here, these pastors are tasked tasked with doing it all. And it only ends with pastors who work 80 hour plus weeks and are on the fast track to burnout in their careers and disaster in their own lives and families. Pastors listening to this, how great would it be if you could bail on all that? How great would it be if you could spend your entire week preparing to teach your people the Bible and 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 that's it. That's supposed to be your role in the church as pastor. How great would it be if by performing this one simple but critical task, your people got moved to do the work of the kingdom instead of you just doing it all the time, all the waking hours of your week. Acts 6 teaches us this. Then the twelve called to themselves the multitude of the, of the disciples, saying, is, It is not pleasing for us to leave the word of God in order to serve tables. Brothers, pick out seven men being attested to and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom whom we can appoint over this need. I would equate the apostles' job in this passage to the modern-day pastor. Their job was to teach the Word of God. Evidently here, the apostles did such a nice job of it. There were men full of the Spirit and wisdom who could take care of these other things. Not that serving tables is any lower than preaching the Word. They're both very important, but nobody can do it all. How does a person find such men? They just don't come out of thin air. 
or out of a, out of weeks and weeks of messages laden with guilt from the pastor. No, men like these emerge who have gone deep into the understanding of God's word as administered by, yes, you, the pastor. That is the pastor's job. Nothing more, nothing less. Teach men who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit the word of God and you'll see men like this emerge from the ranks of your church. By not teaching people the deep and full counsel of God's word, seeker-driven, purpose-driven pastors are shooting themselves in the foot. When pastors could have an army of Christians proclaiming the gospel in their community, they'd leave all the work to themselves. And I'm guessing that most of you pastors out there don't have a gigantic staff, including sermon writers, ghostwriters, etc., like Leader Noble does. To cover for you, you're left to do all that on your own. I'll bet most of you are underpaid and overworked, and yet you strive with all your being to do this model of church which so, which so often, more often than not, fails because you don't have the energy to execute the plan. To me, it's simple, guys. Take your people deep into, into the Bible and into, into theology. Teach them all that stuff you learned in seminary. You know all that stuff that you kind of forgotten about? Bring it back up. What about the church history? What about the church fathers? What about theology? What about systematic theology? All that that stuff you learned about the Bible back then, what's it good for? It, it's good for training and equipping your people. Bring it up to them. Teach it. You'd be surprised how many will eat it up and understand it and become deep themselves and teach it with a conviction and passion. Take a few good men, as Paul mentioned, and meet with them and teach them what you know. And, uh, you know, maybe in, a, in the context of a small group, in addition, in addition to expertly uh, expositing the Bible each time you speak and just see what happens. I remember when I was in school at Oklahoma State, there was a pastor there in Stillwater who all he did, his entire focus was on teaching the Bible on Sunday mornings. The church was sizable. But they did none of the things suggested by the seeker-driven, purpose-driven church growth model. The pastor opened himself uh, up to men once a week on Thursday at 5 a.m. for more learning. Um, anyone could come, but only a handful of us made it. It's pre- pretty early. I had some trouble. I hate getting out of bed, but, but I made this for whatever reason. Um, but there he taught us the gospel and how to present it to others. He had us memorize verses. Well, go figure. When's the last time you asked some people in your congregation to memorize a verse? Um, anyway, I, I digress. But he helped us memorize verses and helped us to understand how it fit with the broader theology of the church. Folks, this, along with how he taught the Bible on Sunday, is why his church was large. All he did was teach the word of God deeply to his people. The people, motivated by their knowledge of the word, did the work on the ground to bring others into into the fellowship of believers. This pastor did not shoot his feet. He did not shoot the people that wanted to go deeper. He took them deeper, and as a result of it, um, he saw growth in his church. Now, does that mean if you start... Uh, taking this biblical approach to pastoral ministry, you're guaranteed numerical growth in your church? Nope, not at all. Not, <laughs> no way can I guarantee it. All it means is you did your job and are leaving the growing to Jesus, the God of the universe. Wouldn't it be a relief to know that you are not responsible for making your church large, small, or otherwise? Wouldn't it be great to know 
All that stuff is in God's hands. I can guarantee you if you start teaching the word deeply from your pulpit, you'll get growth, spiritual growth in individuals who sit in your congregation. And then one day one of them might come up, might come up to you and say, hey, pastor, that sermon you gave, shouldn't we be doing something about the homeless people in our community if what you said is true? To which you'll enth- enthusiastically reply, yes, absolutely. What's your game plan? Come up with a way you can do it. Assemble a team if you want from some of the others who were moved by that message and go for it. Or go volunteer at a homeless shelter. Take some people from the church if you want. I can promote that from the pulpit if you get something going if you'd like. And voila. You've got people serving just by teaching them the Bible. You didn't have to hire yet another staff member. You didn't have to create a new program. You didn't have to allocate money toward it, albeit that might not be a bad idea if you have a congregate wanting to do some noble service to his fellow man and he shows commitment to such a project. How amazing would it be if everything in your church, if everything your church does is because men and women moved by the Holy Spirit, full of the knowledge of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, taught by you delving deeply into the word of God got started by those people in the grassroots. How much ownership would your people have then? What kind of synergy would that create where doing church doesn't start from the top down with some obscure vision, but started from the grassroots up from people who deep in the word of God were at last learning to love God and love their neighbor. Now, is all that to say we ought to get rid of our expensive buildings and smoke and light shows? Eh, maybe. I don't know. Personally, I don't think so. It's not realistic, I know. The damage is already done, all right? But, but all's not lost. Just get back to teaching the Bible to your people deeply. Make it your goal to preach the entire Bible in three years. We encourage our people Sometimes to read it for themselves in years, in a year. Why couldn't we try to preach through it? But I'm just a peon, a nobody. Colonel, I just need a copy of Santiago's transfer order. What's that? Santiago's transfer order. You guys have paperwork on that kind of thing. I, I just need it for the file. For the file? Yeah. Of course, you can have a copy of the transfer order for the file, Danny. I'm... Here to help in any way I can. Thank you. You believe that, don't you, Danny? That I'm here to help you in any way I can? Of course. Corporal will take you by personnel on your way out to the flight line, and you can have all the transfer orders that you want. But you have to ask me nicely. I beg for it? You have to ask me nicely. You see, Danny, I can deal with the bullets and the bombs and the blood. I don't want money, and I don't want medals. What I do want is for you to stand there in that faggoty white uniform and with your Harvard mouth extend me some fucking courtesy. You gotta ask me nicely. Colonel Jessup, if it's not too much trouble, I'd like a copy of the transfer order. Sir. No problem. All right, so I'm asking you nicely, pastors, 
If it's not too much trouble, could you please start teaching us the whole counsel of the word of God deeply, sir, or madam, whatever the case may be. Fellas and ladies, if you honestly don't have time to sit down and study a passage of scripture and turn it into a deep and relevant sermon for the week, I fear you are on a death spiral merry-go-round, not just for your church, but for yourself and your family. Not only are you going to be not only are you not going to be able to keep up with all the work the church demands, but you're not training one anyone to do it either. And so it will go until you burn out. Take it from someone who's been there and done that. I wonder if my career as a minister would have gone differently if I'd only focused on preaching the word and maybe discipling a few instead of trying to do it all. And I'll bet if you went to your elders and said, Folks, I've got to stop working 60, 70, 80 hours a week and I've got to back down to at least 50 and I'm going to spend 45 of that preparing for my sermon Sunday so I can teach all these people who come to our Smoke and Light show about the Bible with depth and conviction. I'll bet they wouldn't fire you. I'll bet the people who came to hear part six of, quote, how to have a better sex life this next Sunday wouldn't all leave the church. If you said, folks, I'm going to interrupt this. I'm going to teach you God's word this week and try to teach you the whole thing in the next three years if you stick around. You might have some leave, sure, who aren't really looking to know God anyway, but I'd bet you'd also start making a good amount of disciples who now, equipped with a deep understanding of God's word, will go and make other disciples. Do church in the style of the culture if you want. It doesn't have to be antiquated, but it does have to be real. And it must not water down, thin out, or altogether ignore the Bible. Folks, our smoke and light shows do not, do not make disciples the preaching of the deep things of god from god's word does that and as the prophet jerry Maguire again reminds us it's not the glitz and not the flash that gets it done it's when we play from the heart for us as ministers our hearts ought to be founded and grounded right in god's word don't shoot your feet fellas <laughs> preach the word when it's a good opportunity or whether it's a poor opportunity preach it in season and out of season. Tell him what he's won, Bob. A beautiful marriage. <laughs> I'm happy to entertain you as always, Bob. Oh, yeah. I have a question for you, Bob. Are we really friends? Why not? I mean, because friends can tell each other anything if we have our friends' hats on, right? Yeah, I think so. All right. I'll tell you why you don't have your $10 million yet. Right now, you are a paycheck player. You play with your head, not your heart. In your personal life, heart. But when you get on the field, it's all about what you didn't get, who's to blame, who underthrew the pass, who's got the contract you don't, who's not giving you your love. You know what? That is not what inspires people. That is not what inspires people. Shut up. Play the game. Play it from your heart. And you know what? I will show you the quant. And that's the truth, man. That's the truth. Can you handle it? It's just a question between friends. You know? Oh, and when they call you shrimp, I'm the one who defends you. I want to be friends with them. Fine. I 
quit using that word, Quan. That's my word. I'll see you in L.A. No heart. No heart? I'm all heart, motherfucker! Thank you for listening to God Still Speaks Through Jackasses. We'd love to get your feedback. Please email me with your thoughts at discussion at godstillspeaksthroughjackasses.org or hit me up on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash godstillspeaksthroughjackasses. All third-party material is used under the authority of the Copyright Act of 1976, 17 United States Code, Section 107. Fair use, including but not limited to Jerry Maguire. Written and directed by Cameron Crowe. Distributed by TriStar Pictures, 1996. A Few Good Men, written by Aaron Sorkin. Directed by Rob Reiner. Distributed by Columbia Pictures, 1990. Save the world, just you wait.